to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Welcome everyone to Scottish Business Network podcast. No, your ears are not deceiving you. Uh, I'm not Fraser Allen, but I'm Christy Nesson, co-founder and chief executive of Scottish Business Network. And I'm absolutely delighted today to have my podcast interviewee and welcome to Alexandra Lawson. Alexandra, in her own words, is passionate about promoting gender parity amongst the STEM industries. She's a strong advocate for the next generation through her role in women in science and engineering young professionals Scotland. And in fact, was a woman in science one to watch earlier a couple of years ago. It'll be no surprise to you hear about Alex's career to know that she also is a Saltire scholar and a strong ambassador for this great Scottish initiative. Welcome, Alex. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, Christine. Delighted. So where are you today, Alex, and what's the view from your window? Yeah, so today I am uh, based in London. I'm currently looking out uh, at the London Eye, very off- lucky in this uh, new office location I find myself in, and it's beautiful sunshine, so can't complain. Fantastic. So always as we do with these podcasts, we go right back to the beginning, Alex. So where did you grow up? I'm guessing it's not in London. And and what was family life like for you in your young years? Yeah, so I'm from Glasgow originally, more specifically Cumbernauld, but don't uh, take that out on me. And uh, yeah, life when I was younger, um, grew up with my mum and dad. My, my dad was a, a drilly by trade or a PE teacher, for those who maybe aren't familiar with the Scottish term. And my mum uh, at the time, as she got a background in food, and at the time when I was growing up, they ran a very successful catering business, um, as well as my dad doing the day job as a PE teacher. Um, and then laterally, after they sold that business, my mum was then more infamously known as the, the lady who invented the oval bites. My mum then worked for Greg's the Bakers and had uh, a career with them. So lots of food and, and activity in our house growing up. Fantastic. But there's a lot of traits, I'm guessing, that you inherited from from mum and dad there. Um, And and did that influence your career ambitions, Alex? Absolutely. Yeah, I think one thing is that uh, life's always been busy. We're always on the go and and always doing something. That's definitely something I get from mum and dad. But the absolute top thing would be work ethic. You know, from from early on, it was always that I was going to have a job from the age of 16. And I was always going to, you know, strive and strive to what the next thing was always going to be. And they've consistently pushed me throughout my, my early years and into now my, my early professional career so absolutely it's down to them Fantastic and you can definitely see that coming through as we'll find out shortly. So you studied for and secured a Master's Engineering qualification in Chemical Engineering at Strathclyde University and we're aware that engineering is not the most obvious choice for, for women. So what led to you taking that degree and, and what would you advice would you give for any other women thinking of studying engineering and chem- chemistry? Yeah, so I actually um, thought that I wanted to be a dentist to begin with. Um, I really enjoyed all three sciences um, and maths at school and I was picking my brains as to what I could go and do. And at the time, um, the obvious choice then was always medicine or dentistry. Engineering wasn't as commonly spoken about and was definitely seen as it was more for the boys. Um, and when we, my peers went to do work experience, I was a little bit too young to go out at the time. So I actually didn't do my work experience until very close to when you were applying to UCAS for your applications. And I went out on work experience. I witnessed one root canal, which was one too many, came home and decided that wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. 
And at the time, my dad's uh, golf partner, both of his sons were studying engineering. One of them had recently qualified and the other was just at the tail end of his studies. And he was telling my dad all about what, you know, career opportunities there were and the different routes that you could take. And so I looked a little more into it. And I also had a very good friend at the time who was first year of uh, chemical engineering. So spoke to as many people as I could in that period I had before applying to uh, UCAS. And the thing that attracted me to it the most, specifically chemical engineering, was that I didn't have to decide right now what I wanted to do. And that if I did this degree, there was going to be a wealth of opportunities available, be it in fast-moving consumer goods industry, be it in the drinks industry, or or anything else for that matter. Um, so it was the real range of opportunities that were available because it's so difficult at 16, 17 to decide exactly what you want to do. And so that gave me a little bit more time to kind of figure it out and figure where I wanted to go. And I think the main thing now for my advice uh, to other girls or anybody at all that's considering that is to speak to as many people as possible. Find out about what the everyday job looks like. What are those different sectors that you could go into? And what do those different sectors look like? You know, often we ask somebody what they do, but we don't actually ask them. So what does your everyday job look like? So, so be curious and ask those questions and find out what your everyday might look like and see if it's something that might be a fit for you. I think that's a great piece of advice uh, here in Scotland just in the last 24 hours the results have, have come out for academic qualifications and there's so many people we hear about particularly at the moment social media about there's no wrong path and it's really interesting to hear people like you it's it's the informal networks that often are, are the greatest influence or, or guide for people and as you say being curious Alex is such an important part. It is and I think so much um, responsibility rightly or wrongly is, is placed on what you're told at home and I often get very frustrated with um, you know if parents aren't well enough equipped or they don't know what the opportunities are then they can't tell their children about it and the same goes for teachers in these organisations you know so commonly when I was growing up an apprenticeship meant that you were going to be a joiner or you were going to be an electrician it was nothing like the modern day apprenticeships that we find now where you could go, go and be an accountant or many other different activities so I've got a real thing about you know should we have a career fair at parents night or you know something along those lines to help educate others about those different routes into, into education and further education that isn't always just the, the school route of straight to university. Oh, completely agree with you. I'll be banging that drum as well, Alex. Thank you for, for that. So well put. Um, in, in my usual way of stalking people through LinkedIn and Instagram, etc., I could see 2014 from reviewing it. It was quite a pivotal year for you, Alex. Is that how you see it? And, and what were your experiences in 2014? Absolutely, yes. So, I mean, I grew up in Glasgow and I stayed in Glasgow for university and I was very lucky to be able to stay at home in that time. I had the best of both worlds. I would stay at a friend's house during the week and come home to my dad with my washing and get my packed lunches and dinners at the weekend. So 2014 was kind of um, the end of my second year at university and I'd been applying for all sorts of internships to try and find something different to go and do for the summer. And I was uh, very fortunate through um, the Interconnect Network, um, which is a kind of Scottish funded uh, network through Equate Scotland, that they put you in touch with different uh, STEM organisations. And there was a, an opportunity there funded by Athena Swan to go and work at the Heriot Watt campus in Dubai. So it wasn't only my first kind of entrance into the energy world, my first kind of proper um career associated job but it also was my first time away from home and I'll never forget um, 
packing enough clothes that I wasn't going to have to do any washing for the duration of the time that I was away and leaving with this huge suitcase at Glasgow Airport to go on this adventure to Dubai. And when I got there, I was very, very fortunate to have a fantastic lady as my my leader and line manager for the summer called Srika Varma. And she was a a civil engineer who was very well respected um, within the community there, which was so pivotal in the Middle East because we think that, um, you know, being a female in engineering is is very scarce in in the UK. It is even scarcer in these countries. And I was so fortunate to kind of follow and shadow her for the summer in somewhere that you could just tell from the moment she walked into a room that that she was so well respected. So I worked there for six weeks, basically arranging different um, companies to come into the university and share about what they did for the master's students. We arranged a number of STEM outreach programmes, which were one of the most rewarding things that you can do, going out to schools to try and get children excited about science. And then when I came home, it was like, well, that's been great. What am I going to do now? And I found myself with um, the Commonwealth Games. Glasgow was the host city. And it was time to find something else to uh, top up the bank after having been away for six weeks. So I then was very fortunate to go and work at uh, BP at the time, had a a Commonwealth Games experience that they ran out of Blyswood Scrohus Hill. And at the time, it was all about up and coming technologies in the industry. And they invited many of their senior VIP guests along um, as part of the and invite to come and see what they were up to and uh, one of the most pivotal moments of the week was Billy Conley coming to the hotel he was there and he was invited to uh, come to our experience and the story as it went was along the lines of he would rather have rinsed his mouth with bleach than come along to see what we were up to so he he wasn't quite as keen as some others but it was fantastic um, so that was it was a real summer of, you know, different things that were going on and so many, you know, you just thought you would never top it, to be honest. And then as we went back to university, it's like, OK, I've had this great summer. What am I going to do now? And I'd obviously had this experience with BP and really enjoyed it. And they at the time then had this competition called BP Ultimate Field Trip and you teamed up in teams of three and came up with new and novel technologies that would help um, the the problem statement that year was to do with produced water, the amount of produced water that we had in oil and gas operations and what were clever things you could do with it instead. So it was a bit busy to say the least was 2014. But such incredible experiences there. I mean, for your first time, well, leaving home, as it were, to go and live somewhere else, and you go to the Middle East. I mean, that brings so many challenges, but also a great cultural awareness there that you had to adapt and understand. Is that something that you've carried through post that period, Alex? Absolutely, yeah. One thing that um, it's funny now when I think back, I shared at the time a room with another girl called Aitana, and she was from Spain originally, but she had been studying in Dubai and was kind of my counterpart for the summer. And of course, everybody else in the Middle East and, you know, in Dubai in the summer, it's like 40 odd degrees. But I am a sun worshipper, no matter what the, the temperature is. And I used to every day when it got to four o'clock, I would find the nearest hotel and I would go and lie by their pool and sunbathe. Meanwhile, Aitana would stay indoors and stay in the shade. And I'll never forget in her final presentation, her standing up and saying that she thought all I was going to do was show an array of different hotels that I'd visited for the summer. Um, so I didn't quite get on board there, but certainly it was was very interesting cultural difference you know we're very used to in the UK if you're in a a conference suite and you need extra chairs you go and get the extra chairs and I'll remember we were setting up for this event and I said oh where's the extra chairs I'll go and lift them it's like no no you just phone housekeeping for that and I said no no just show me where they are and I'll go and get them and it was like no because if you did that it was actually very disrespectful because that was their job um 
So I took had to you know get on board with that quickly and just understand what the different ways of working were. But that's something I've been able to carry through you know throughout my early professional career of when you're working across these international boundaries of just being respectful of, of what the status quo is in that place. Absolutely, and I think the important word there, building in your be curious, is be respectful Absolutely. as well. You know that that is the norm in these situations. So. I have spoken about there, you've at Strathclyde University, you get these great experiences. And as if studying for your degree wasn't enough, you took on a number of different jobs there, Alex, as well. Student tutor and also uh, HMRC debt collection. So I'm quite sure you've got some interesting tales about these parallel careers there. Are you able to share them, apart from telling us to pay our, our taxes on time? <laughs> yeah, I was very fortunate, actually. And to some, it might seem like a very strange part-time job to take. But at the time, one of the, the main centres for HMRC in, in the Glasgow district was in Cumbernauld. And it was very common if you if you lived in Cumbernauld that you would have a part-time job there. Um, and it was often that only if you knew somebody who worked there you would find out when they were recruiting it was very difficult to get in because actually it was a really brilliant job to have and you used to work flexi time um, which for those that don't know is basically as long as you work your hours within the week you can work whatever you want to work and I at the time didn't realise how crucial that was going to be for me but then what happened was as I progressed throughout the university and other internship opportunities came up what they would let me do is as soon as I finished my exams, I would work full time but on my part time contract and I would bank all these hours. So as I had enough leave to be able to go and do my internships and still come back to a job. So it was brilliant. They were absolutely fantastic at supporting me through these additional opportunities that they knew when I graduated were going to be really pivotal in, in getting my foot on that ladder and getting a, a job. But yeah, it's not always the best conversation starts when people ask what your part time job is and you say that you're, uh, you work in the tax office. But yeah, I worked across a, a range of a range of uh, different disciplines, and I worked in there everything from from corporation tax to benefits. So you certainly had some interesting stories. <laughs> and all of us in Scotland can picture that address, Centre One, Cumbernauld. You know, it's almost ingrained <laughs> in, in there. But it's so good to hear about that flexibility in, in the workplace, and uh, for for so many people, having that flexible approach to employment makes such a difference there. So great, you had a, a strong experience for that. Yeah, and I think now we're seeing that more and more. Of course, you know, flexible working has become a real thing over the past two years. But I guess this is maybe like ten years ago now that, that we're speaking about, and then it wasn't really as as common a thing. And certainly, I'd never worked anywhere else that you had this flexi working. And I was really worried that I was going to have to give up this brilliant part-time job to be able to go and do these other internships so to be able to do both was just was brilliant brilliant now it, i'm delighted to know as i said at the start not in the least bit surprised you're a saltire scholar and ambassador we have a global audience listening to these podcasts alex i'd love if you could just share a bit more about this fantastic scottish-based initiative absolutely and it's funny that you mentioned 2014 because i remember the night before going back to uni um, in 2014 and my mum saying to me gosh you know you'll never have another summer like this summer and i said i know you'll never top it you know i've done so much and then came 2015 and the saltire foundation and um, I actually think their strapline has changed now very slightly, but I rem remember exactly what it was. That the aim of the Saltire Foundation was to find, fuel and spark the next generation of Scottish entrepreneurs. And that used to be their title for their um, internship programme. So for those that don't know, it's an opportunity for students at Scottish universities to apply to an internship programme where 
you initially apply to be part of the application pool. And once you're successful in getting into the application pool, you then have the opportunity to apply to a number of different organisations and companies all across the globe who all in some way or another have a connection to Scotland, be it that it is possibly a director that has moved to, for example, New York and set up an organisation there or they have heritage in Scotland. There's a connection in one way or the other. Um, and I was very fortunate to go to Dallas, Texas for the summer and work for a company called Texas Aero Engine Services, which at the time were a joint venture between Rolls-Royce and American Airlines. And not only that, but I got to go with three other Scottish students in Dallas and there were another four of us in Houston. And it was a summer of a lifetime. And to anybody who ever asked me about it, I say, you know, from the outside in, you can't understand it. And from the inside out, you'll never be able to explain it. It was just absolutely fantastic. And you go on what is almost an all expenses paid trip but it's the the relationships and the friendships that you get out of that and I still now you know almost 10 years on I'm really really good friends with all the people who I went with and in actual fact at the moment through my other interior design business I'm designing one of the homes of the girl who phoned me to tell me I had my internship and she used to work at for Entrepreneurial Scotland so it's gone full circle it's really nice. Absolutely. And I love coming across people in my networking who are Saltar Fellows or Ambassadors or Saltar Scholars. I know there's a slight difference in the training routes there. And everybody is so positive about this and has just such, like you, such great experiences now run through Entrepreneurial Scotland. So if anybody wants to hear more about it, please get in touch with Entrepreneurial Scotland. Or if you feel you want to be able to give an offer of, of support through a placement, I know they'd be delighted to, to hear more about that, Alex, as well. A great advertisement. Absolutely. I remember being in the airport the day that I was flying from Glasgow um, across to go to Dallas and we were all wearing our, our Salter Foundation t-shirts to go and I stood at airport security and this guy came up to me and he just said to me where are you going on your internship and I thought oh gosh how does he know and he said six years ago I went to Chicago and you're about to have the summer of a lifetime and it was just absolutely brilliant I've never forgotten it. That is that is incredible only in Scotland could that <laughs> So you successfully secured your, your master's and now you've taken on a, a role within the oil and gas industry with Shell. Quite a male-dominated environment um, and we've already spoken about that and women in, in engineering. What appealed to you about a career in Shell and, and how that would help further, I'm sure you have, these longer-term ambitions, Alex? Absolutely, yeah. It's a, a very interesting dynamic. So I basically, after I had been to Texas, I, in my four, after the end of my fourth year, went to do a placement with Shell. And I really loved the company culture. That was one of the first things that, that brought me in and, and drew me to them for sure. And I'd had this summer of where anybody was, you know, more than happy to sit down with you for half an hour and tell you about what they do. And before then, I had a bit of an idea about the oil and gas industry from previous placements in reading, but I'd never really been boots on the ground seeing these projects and seeing what they do. So that 10 week internship programme, I think was really pivotal in my choice of, of going to Shell because I felt really comfortable there. I'd had a really, really brilliant first impression and so when I was invited back on the graduate scheme, it, it was a no-brainer for me. Um, and I think you come out of, of engineering and you come out of university, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to take on the world. And I then moved three hours north to Aberdeen, far less glamorous than some of my, my previous opportunities. But I was very lucky that I had friends there already. And then all of a sudden I found myself driving every day an hour even further north to one of our gas terminals there. And I worked there for the first two years and when I came out of university and it was like you know 
a learning curve the steepest I have ever seen but it was brilliant to go from having designed these things on paper to actually be able to see them in in real life but it came with its challenges you know you work with people who have years on you in terms of experience and you're trying to soak up as much knowledge as you can from these individuals and yes there definitely weren't um you know it wasn't it's not a 50 50 environment unfortunately at the moment and we try to do everything that we can to, to encourage more of that but by leading the way and being that example you can then have these these other girls come in and, and explain to them about what you're doing and try and inspire them to, to think about maybe making a wee bit of a different career choice too absolutely and i think that's you know be the change you want to see and and you're right at the core and as you say in the graduate program leading through example there you've made a recent move from from aberdeen down down to london to an aspect within shell which again is very interesting within more of the renewable sustainable area are you able to share a wee bit more about that alex absolutely yes so i've i have recently um made the move from what we would call or term the upstream part of the organisation, which is kind of your core oil and gas um, operations into our renewable energy solutions business, helping um, business to business customers with their on-site renewables options. So it could be solar, battery, um, energy efficiency management. And although it's something that I'm very curious about and it absolutely is is where our future needs to be in terms of reaching those those net zero goals, there's much more of a personal choice in it too. I, as I mentioned before, do a lot of STEM outreach and a lot of trying to encourage our next generation. And I have to say that over the last three years, when we attend graduate fairs or otherwise, there's a real influx in questions around what are Shell doing to drive the carbon reduction agenda? What are we doing to help the energy transition? What are we doing to help climate change? And young people and younger generations are way more aware of this now. And I want to be able to say that I am actively doing something to make to make a real difference in that space, particularly when I think towards, you know, five to ten years from now when I have my own children and they possibly start to ask those curious questions. I want to be able to stand there and say that this is what I'm doing to help. So, yeah, it's, it's a career choice, but also a super conscious personal choice as well. Fantastic, Alex. Well, wish you all the very best, both in that move and, and the next part of your career with Shell. I'm going to shift slightly here um, because for many people the name Alexandra Lawson within Shell might not be as well known as the other name that Alex is known as and for 250 odd thousand people globally follow Casa Lawson on Instagram you're a very well known name and influencer on Instagram how did that social media expertise under your tagline, empowering others to try DIY, how did that come about, Alex? Um, so first of all, I'd say I guess I stumbled upon it by accident, but um, which I think many others in my industry would say the same. But um, if we go back a little bit, when I was growing up, my dad would have never paid somebody to do anything that he could do himself. And even if that meant we had uh, a leak in the roof that might have needed some further assistance a few days later. But he was a real avid believer if you can do it yourself, you do it. And he had a, a very good friend who I termed Tom Bang after listening to him knock down a wall in my earlier years and it stuck, who was a technical teacher at the school I went to. So if dad didn't know how to do it, Tom would teach him how to do it. And I would just watch as they went. And this was, you know, from as early as I can remember, ages of four and five, I would be there as my dad's sidekick. So I'd always grown up with that. So when I was on the hunt for my own first house, I thought, well, once I move into this house, I'm going to see what I can do with this as well. 
And uh, unfortunately, whilst I was on that hunt for my first house, I very sadly lost my dad. And by the time I'd moved into my house, I then moved into my house with all of my dad's tools. And then we kind of was in the house for around six months. I hadn't really done anything. And then I decided once lockdown hit that one of the only places open was B&Q and it was time to put some of those tools to use. And at the start, it was just I started the Instagram account as a personal diary of what I was doing in the house. And it all started with a wall that I stenciled. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. And what I love about it is that I can hear my dad when I take these tools out of the box. You know, he's there with me on the project. I can hear him when we used to get things wrong, when we would do things in the house. So it's brilliant. It's a really nice way of feeling like he's there for part of the journey. Oh, it's a wonderful story, Alex. And uh, how do you balance then your your significant career with Shell and, and all the demands there, along with keeping, you know, 250,000 people interested and more and the demands of that social media presence. Well, it's busy to say the least, Christine. It's it's definitely busy. Um, It sounds really, really cliche, but I actually don't watch that much television. And now that thankfully Love Island has finished for the summer, I've got lots of time back because that is one thing that is a guilty pleasure and I lose hours in the week watching. But I'm not somebody who binge watches a lot of television, but all jokes aside, I do. I lead a very, very busy life. And often when I clock off at 4.30, 5 o'clock from my day job, I then get into my dungarees and I get a paintbrush and off I go. But there's a real thing about balance. And I think I, ha- I have experienced those days of burnout or, you know, those periods where you just kind of lose your creative mojo, whether that's in my day job or or in my um, in the Instagram world. And one of the ways that I found best to balance that most recently was that I um, chose to go with agency representation, which for anybody who isn't in that world or doesn't know, it basically just means you have a, a somebody to hold your hand and help you through a lot of the admin side and some of the things that aren't as glamorous, like the invoicing and things that take up time, but also start to take away your love of, of why you started doing it. And since I've done that, it's made a, a really a huge difference. So I've um, signed with a company called Fark Media, who basically specialise in home influencers and, and DIY bloggers. And they also have opened a whole door of opportunities that I kind of otherwise wouldn't have had access to. So it makes the balancing act um, a lot easier. But there's also a lot of on the go replying to emails and on the go trying to post things and so on. But it's, I seem to be keeping the plates spinning for now. Wonderful. And there's always that piece and there's quite often a common piece in Instagram about Instagram v reality. Yeah. And you're just doing <laughs> The hard work that, that goes behind it. Now, I also came across you, Alex, on the wonderful BBC Scotland uh, Home of the Year when you were part of Christmas Home of the Year. I absolutely loved your house, Alex. It's beautiful. And I know you, you've moved on from, from that particular home looking for your next one down south. But has that ever led to sort of kind of interesting questions around the office who people are not aware of Castle Lawson or BBC Home of the Year and they, they say was that you in the telly Alex? Absolutely yes it was actually so entertaining um, around about the time that all of that was going on because of course you weren't when I found out I was going to be on it I couldn't tell anybody and it was only my immediate family etc who knew um, and actually the day that I found out I'd been picked to actually be in the filmed part of the series I was undergoing my kind of final exit interview from my extended uh, graduate program at Shell and what happens is you go into this room you do your presentation then you're asked to leave and then you come back in and get the decision and in those kind of 15 minutes when I was out of the room was when I got this phone call to say 
you're going to be on Christmas Home of the Year. And for anybody who doesn't know, I am a Christmas fanatic. Like it's 137 days to go today. I I absolutely love it. And I have a mum and dad to thank for that because they were as Christmas daft as I am growing up. And I came back into this room with this beaming smile and he was like, oh, you obviously think you've done really well. And I was like, not going to lie, I really hope I have done well, but I've just found out I'm going to be on Christmas Home of the Year. And I was just elated so it led to some really funny conversations at work and I think probably up until then I kind of kept the Instagram thing under wraps I didn't really speak about it that much and I guess when you speak to a lot of people who don't really understand that world it does seem a bit daft and I totally get that but now it's quite a successful business and so I think people see it quite differently when they see it in that light but I remember putting on my out of office for the the festive period and saying you know If you're struggling to get into the festive spirit, keep your eyes peeled for BBC's Christmas Home of the Year, you might see a familiar face. And the number of emails that I came back to and calls I was then on in the new year and that kind of first period were fantastic. People were so supportive and, oh my gosh, I didn't realise you did this and and all these types of things. So it was brilliant. It was really, really fantastic. And I love the way you use your platform there to also say it's not all about being a social media influencer and sometimes people perceive that as really glamorous. You you show this is a day job as well. And I think that's so important to say there's a balance here. And again, using that platform to show I'm a woman in an engineering environment this could be you come and talk to me approach. Absolutely. And I think one of the real things about that is I often get so many messages from people who are um, intimidated to pick up a tool or intimidated to, you know, go to B&Q and ask because you don't really know what you're asking for. And you're kind of stood there on your phone trying to Google it and you don't want to feel like an idiot. And I so often then, you know, give some people a bit of a talking to and say, you can do it. This is what you need to go and ask for. This is what you need. And I love when they come back to me and say, I've done it or here's a photo here's what I've managed to make and it's brilliant and you give people a real sense of confidence and there's nothing better than the end of the project standing back and just thinking gosh I made that so to be able to give that gift to other people is is brilliant. Oh what wonderful message again there Alex I'm so sorry but we're coming to the end of this podcast Uh, I I could chat to you for, for hours Alex it's always such a pleasure but My final five questions are are the quick round questions. So obvious one, desert island, what DIY tool would you want to be located in your desert island with you? It's got to be a nail gun. That's my favourite tool. (laughs) First record ever bought? So actually, I had to think about this and I think it would have to be one of these Now albums, which actually is very funny because I've got my mum and dad's records and they've got Now 1 to 10 on vinyl. And I must have had some sort of, you know, Now 30-ish, I think, on CD. But yeah, definitely one of those albums. Listen, I can remember now that's what I call music one. Yeah. I think we're <laughs> Well, figures now, Alex. So, uh, favourite place in the world? Uh, Mallorca. It's got super special memories for me. So Beautiful, beautiful. And what's for dinner tonight, Alex? I don't actually know what I'm having for dinner tonight. I'm going out with some friends who are uh, down visiting in London. So hopefully something in the sunshine with an accompanying cocktail, Christine. Brilliant. And perfect weekend for, for Alex or Casa Lawson. What does that look like? So a perfect weekend, if I'm meant to be having a rest for me, would be on a boat somewhere, um, being driven around hopefully in a hot climate. But if it's uh, not having a rest, then absolutely getting stuck in about a project and getting a bit um, sawdust in my hair and paint on my face is my ideal weekend. 
Fantastic. Alex, it's been an absolute joy talking to you. I wish you every success in your move to London and wish you every success in both your careers. And thank you for taking the time to record with us today. Thanks so much, Christine. It's been a pleasure. Speak soon. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.